I'll go ahead and let you know you can be turning to 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter, uh, chapters 3 and 4 is where we're mostly going to be tonight. I want to read for you a scripture to start out with. It's not from 2 Corinthians, but it comes from Paul's defense that he gave to King Agrippa. In Acts chapter uh, 26, he said to Agrippa, I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests. King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and of what I will reveal to you. I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles. I now send you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified. As we've been reading about idolatry, and we've been seeing what idolatry does to our hearts, how it darkens them, how it blinds us, it makes us senseless to the glories of God, who he is and, and what he wants from us and, and the, the truth that he shares with us. We might ask ourselves, how can someone who is senseless, like an idol, ever begin to walk in the light and to clearly see the glory of God? How can, how can that change possibly be brought into a heart that's so darkened by idolatry like I think all of our hearts were, certainly before Christ? And like so many hearts are today who have not trusted in him. It was Paul's very commission from the Lord, I think, was the answer to idolatry. Was the answer to dark hearts. To be a witness for Christ, that was the answer. To preach the gospel. God's solution to idolatrous hearts was sending out witnesses to the glory of Christ. Proclaiming the glory of salvation by the grace of Christ. And though all humanity has been affected by idolatry, our hearts have been darkened by worldly devotions, right? We've seen that in the last few weeks, that we've not all been committed to God as he deserves, as he demands from us, but we all fall short of his standard, right? And yet God heals the blind, darkened hearts of those who believe in his Son. And we saw a little bit of that last week, didn't we? We read in Romans about uh, how Paul, he, he made it very clear that everyone falls short of the standard that God has set. That we're, that we're all sinners, right? That no one is good. No one understands. And yet he later said that God has predestined those who believe in his son to be conformed to the image of his son. That God, long before this world was created, predestined that anyone who will believe in Christ will no longer be conformed to the image of an idol, but will be brought into conformity with the image of Christ. And there's that hope for us. Well, we've seen how idolatry, it, it darkens us, and we conform to the, the, the senseless, worthless nature of an idol. But God brings redemption. And tonight we're going to see more of that. And we're going to read more about what God has done for us in Christ. Uh, today, my prayer is that we all come away from this lesson, this particular one, 
uh, with greater confidence sharing the gospel message in this world that is full of people who have hearts that are dark to God and to his glory. We're going to be, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to kind of start reading in, in verse 12, but I'll summarize a little bit before that. The verses we're going to read tonight don't actually include the word idol, um, idol or idolatry. Uh, but I think what we're going to see is the effects of idolatry and what God has done to fix that. How God has given us redemption from uh, that, again, that sin. In 2 Corinthians, again, this is Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, and it addresses multiple subjects, right? He, he had a lot to say to this group of believers who, again, he was writing a letter to. But at the time that Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthians this second time, he was being opposed by other teachers. Uh, he was even being slandered by other people who were teaching other gospels, were teaching other uh, sets of, of rules and guidelines to the Corinthians and to, to other believers. Uh, it seems that there were some who criticized Paul for not demanding adherence to the law of Moses, right? We, we can read about that several places in the New Testament, that there were those teachers who went around claiming that to be right with God, you had to, you could trust in Christ, but you also had to fulfill the law of Moses. And when Paul didn't teach that, they slandered him. They accused him. They, they, tried, to, uh, they tried to undermine the authority he had and, and to... Uh, to teach about how evil Paul was and how he was veiling the truth from the people like the Corinthians. There were others who criticized him for not teaching humanistic wisdom. You're not teaching like the rest of us Greek people do. You're not, you're not teaching the pagan practices that, that is in our culture. You're not teaching the kind of wisdom that we follow. And so much of 2 Corinthians is Paul defending his ministry and the message that he and Timothy and other ministers of the gospel were preaching. Though to the people, to, to the Corinthians, he shouldn't have had to do this. He was having to defend who he was, the authority that he had from God, but also he was having to defend the message he was preaching, the one that they had received but were now being told was, was corrupt or, or veiled to them. In 2 Corinthians 3, in the first few verses, I'll, I'll read those for you and then kind of summarize it, but he says in verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need like some letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, recognized, and read by everyone. It is clear that you are Christ's letter produced by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. We have this kind of confidence toward God through Christ. It is not that we are confident in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our confidence is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. So he starts off and he tells the Corinthians, are we having to commend ourselves again? Are we really having to defend ourselves again to you? He says, you should be our letter of recommendation. The Corinthian church was the very evidence of the power of the message Paul was preaching and the ministry he had carried out. And he said, we, we have confidence in this ministry, not because of ourselves, but because of the Lord who gave them that authority. He says, they're preaching, uh, they're preaching a new covenant, one that gives life, not one that is, you know, adheres to the letter of the law like so many, so many people wanted them to. He went on in verse 70, he says, now if the ministry of death chiseled in letters on stone, he's talking about the law, right? The law of Moses. He says, it came with glory. 
so that the Israelites were not able to look directly in Moses' face because of the glory from his face, a fading glory, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was fading away was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. He's comparing the ministry he has now to the, ministry, to the administration of the, the law in Moses' day, right? And he's saying that was glorious for a time. It was, he wasn't saying it was wrong, it was bad, that the law was bad itself. He said it was glorious, but now we're preaching to you something even more glorious, something that far surpasses the law, and that is this ministry of, of Christ, this ministry of the Spirit, as he calls it. It's one that, that brings life. It's one that's not going to fade away like the law faded away. Now, you may be thinking at this point, what does this have to do with this study? We're getting there. Paul's comparing the glory of each covenant, the law which had faded in glory, and the gospel. And he was convinced that he was preaching a message that gave life and a message that was permanently glorious and not fading away like the law. So Paul had great confidence as a preacher of the gospel. And so, you know, when, when people accused him of veiling the gospel or not preaching it in its entirety, he, he, he couldn't believe that. How could you think he would preach anything else? The gospel is what has power. And he says in verse 12, and this is where we're going to start focusing in on tonight. Let's read verses 12 through 18. He says, therefore, having such a hope, so that hope that the glory he's preaching is it's permanent, it's not going away. Having such a hope, we use great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away, but their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted, because it is set aside only in Christ. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Paul starts here and he says, he and his fellow ministers, men like him and, and Timothy, they had a boldness which was even greater than that of Moses, right? Moses was a great leader. The Jews looked up to him. They revered him. And yet Paul says, we have a greater boldness in this ministry than even Moses had. Because he said the message that they were preaching was more glorious than that of Moses' message. The law of Moses looked forward to the one that Paul was preaching now, looked forward to the Christ that Paul got to preach now. And he supports this point that he's making here by reminding his readers of the veil Moses would put over his face. Now, I want to read from you real quick from Exodus, where it talks about this veil. It's quick. In Exodus uh, 34 and verse 29, it says, As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face 
shown as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what he had been commanded, and the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. So this is what Paul's referring back to. This practice that Moses had of, of putting the veil over his face, right? He would go and he would commune with, with God and, and hear from God and talk with him. And then when he came back, his face would be so glorious and shining that it scared the people. He had to tell them, come here. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got something to tell you from God. And then when he got done talking to them, he would veil his face until the next time he went to meet with the Lord when he would unveil it. His face would become glorious again and then it would be the same thing once again. Go to Israel, tell them the word of God, and then veil his face again. Cover it up. Paul comments here in, in 2 Corinthians and he brings up something that maybe we don't get the first time we read in Exodus. It, it doesn't maybe jump out at us from uh, the verses we just read. But Paul says that the reason Moses did this, the reason he veiled his face after talking to Israel, was to hide the outcome of what was being brought to an end, he says. To hide the outcome of what was being brought to an end. He didn't want them to see that the glory he had was fading from him, right? That's what he's talking about. This, this glorious, this, this shining glory in his face, he veiled it so that as it was fading, the people couldn't see that it was fading. That's what Paul says here. It was being brought to an end. That glory was being brought to the end after communi uh, communing with God. Paul and his fellow ministers of Christ, they didn't worry about needing to hide themselves because the glory of the gospel would never fade from them because they knew that they weren't preaching something that was fading, right? And that's kind of the illustration Paul is using here. Moses didn't have this boldness. He had to veil his face because the glory he had was, fa was fading. But Paul, preaching the glories of Christ, preaching uh, that this new covenant didn't have to hide his face. He had boldness. He had confidence with the message he was preaching and its, it's, it's permanent glory. But going back to Israel, what does Paul say about them in, in chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 14, he says, but their minds were closed. So Moses veiled his face and Paul says that over time, I think he was saying here, over time, Israel's minds were closed. They were hardened. I think that's what we've seen the last few weeks as we've studied the history of Israel, right? As they began to put their trust in the letter of the law, they began to trust in the idols of the nations around them. They began to have hearts that were hardened to God's glory, that were hardened to who he is, that were, uh, that were senseless, like the idols that they worshipped. Even into Paul's day, he said that when the Israelites, they read that old covenant, they read the law. When they read that, there's this same veil over it. Now, when Paul says that in verse 14, for this, to this day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains, he's not literally talking about the veil Moses had on his face, right? We understand that. But he's saying that there's, there's, a, there's a veil with the same effect that persists. Even up into Paul's day, Years and years and years later, 
He says Jews, they, they read this old covenant. They read about the law, and there's still this veil that is hiding the fading glory of the law. There's still this veil over their face that, that keeps them from seeing that the glory is fading from, I think, this covenant. I think that's Paul's point here. They can't see that it's fading. There's a veil on their hearts. He says it is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. There were so many Jews, like we see in the Gospels, and the, the Pharisees and the scribes who came to, to Jesus, and they, they couldn't see how much more glorious the Gospel was than adherence to the law. And it's because they had that veil over their face, because the veil wasn't lifted because they didn't have faith in Christ. They would not turn to the Lord. That's even today, right? Even today there are Jews that still have this veil over their eyes that keeps them from seeing how the glory of the law has, has faded. And there's a new, permanent, superior glory in Christ that is here for them to receive. The Israelites who have minds that are callous to God's word, they can't see how that glory is fading. And as they continue to reject Jesus... Paul noticed that they continue to miss the glorious splendor of the gospel. They can't see how awesome it is. They can't see every, what God has done for them in Christ and how much better it is because they, they won't make that first step in trusting Christ. They won't turn to him, right? Instead, they worship idols and they turn to the law into an idol. They, they worship the letter of the law in place of God. They worship the traditions and the teachings of their fathers rather than God. And because they didn't receive Christ, they wouldn't turn to him, that veil wasn't taken away. Paul's saying here, turning to the Lord, putting your faith in Jesus, that is what unveiled the darkened hearts of the Jews. When one turns to Jesus, they are also, he says, turning to the Spirit of the Lord. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And he's, again... He said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's this, there's this closeness between the Son and the Spirit. He says the Spirit is from the Son, right? It's the Spirit of the Lord. And in that Spirit, when you turn to that Spirit, you turn to the Lord, there's freedom, he says. Well, freedom from what, right? Well, we know this is freedom from, from again, the, the guilt and the sin and the death that we face under the law. Uh, that the, the death we face because we can't meet God's standard. But even more in this context, it's freedom from that veiled heart, right? What has he just said? That when you turn to the Lord, that, that veil is removed. You can, you can understand clearly that the darkness in the heart of the Jews is removed when they turn to the Lord. I think part of that is certainly this freedom, again, from having a veiled heart, from being senseless and darkened like an idol from not being able to grasp the glories of God, the word that he's teaching and, and, and has, has given us. A heart that is veiled to all the glories of God can't see him clearly, but can see him clearly through faith in, faith in Jesus. That can be fixed. But even more than just being able to see the glory of God when you trust in Christ, when the Jews did, he goes on to say, in verse 18, we all, now he's talking about believers. He's talking from personal experience as a Jew who turned to the Lord. He says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord 
and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now Paul says, we, you know, we Jews who have who've turned to the Lord, we're looking at him now with unveiled face, uh, with unveiled faces, right? There's, there's no longer anything obstructing and, and, and causing a fog over uh, in, in their eyes to see the, the, the glory of the Lord. Now they can see the glory of God because they've received Christ. They can see clearly who God is because he's manifested himself in Christ. And he uses a really awesome word here in verse 18. A couple of them, actually. He says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. That's a really, really specific word that he uses here for looking as in a mirror. That's all one verb. And it was, I mean, it really is just a word that means to, it's the word for looking in a mirror, looking in a reflection. And so Paul said that now, now that we've trusted in Christ, we're looking at him like in a mirror. It's like a reflection, right? We're looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Now, when you're looking in a mirror, you expect the same image on both sides, right? If you ever got up in the morning and you looked in the mirror and it wasn't, it wasn't the same on both sides, that's, that's like that's scary movie stuff. Like, that's, that's terrifying. Right? It, you expect what you see in the mirror to be the same thing on either side. But here Paul is saying that when he trusted in the Lord and that veil was taken off his heart, now he's seeing clearly. He's looking at Christ like it's in a mirror, but Paul knows that he's not matching the image of Christ, Christ perfectly. Paul knows that he's not the exact same image. So what does he say but that we're looking in this mirror and we're looking at Christ and he's everything that we should be. He's the, the complete image of God in its fullness. He perfectly uh, images what, what we were supposed to be at creation as the image of God. And we're being transformed to be like that image. And that transformed word is also really cool. Because there's only four places this is used in the New Testament. This is one of them. Paul uses this also in Romans when he talks about being transformed by the renewal of your mind. But the other two times that this word gets used is in the Gospels. At Jesus' transfiguration. When Jesus appeared in his full glory, right? Before three, before three of his disciples. He was transfigured before them. He was transformed before them. And now Paul says, when we're looking in this mirror, when we turn to the Lord, that veil is taken off our heart and we're seeing clearly now the glory of God. We're looking at him like it's a mirror and we're being changed to be just like him. We're being transformed into this glorious image that is perfectly seen in Christ. What a, what a far cry from what we are without Christ. Have we seen in the last few weeks in the life of Israel and in Paul's writings just how far idolatry takes us when we don't fear the Lord and we, we're, we're turning to other things? We're putting our faith and our trust in, in all sorts of idols, anything and everything that's not God. And we become like that, man, that shameful, disgusting image of an idol, like a cake unturned. Isn't that what he called, isn't that what he called Israel? There's just not a good side to you. You're burnt on one side, you're not cooked on that. You're just... It's just gross is what you've become because you're not fearing the Lord. And yet Paul says here, because of our faith in Christ, 
God will transform us into being like the glory of Christ. We're looking in this mirror, and that we have this hope that one day we're going to be looking in this mirror, and it will be a perfect reflection. One day we will be just like Christ, and we have new glorious bodies. We're going to be changed. And we'll see even more next week in, in what we study, how even now, today, even in these bodies, we can receive the first fruits of this transformation, that we're, we're already being changed to be more like him, more like the image of Christ. But Paul said, he kind of hints toward that. He says we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And I think the idea is here, it's kind of a, it's, it's a progressive thing, right? You're, you are, you're being transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory as you look to Christ, as you view him in this mirror. Sure, we can, we can already conform to Christ in this life, but there's one day it's going to be even more glorious when we're, when we're perfectly conformed to him. All by the authority of the Spirit of the Lord, he says. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's by his power. Once we conformed to a shameful image, one like an idol, but now we're transformed into the reflection of Christ's glorious image. Once before Christ, we are a disappointing creation that has not lived up to what God has made us to be. But when we put our faith in the Lord, we are transformed into being exactly what he has made us to be. The character of Christ, right? His image. This was the message that Paul had confidence in, right? This was, a, this was what gave Paul that motivation and that confidence to preach this message to people, who, people whose hearts were darkened, right? Because he knew what power the gospel had to change them. He knew what kind of light that they could have in their own hearts if they would turn to the Lord. Other gospels were not as glorious as the gospel of Jesus Christ. The law of Moses couldn't transform you into being what you were supposed to be. It couldn't make you into a person who conformed to the image of Christ. No humanistic teachings could transform you into the image of Christ to be like him. Only the Spirit of the Lord himself could do that and does that for those who put their faith in the Lord. And so Paul was determined to preach this gospel clearly. Read with me in the next verses. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And he, he kind of does almost what we've been doing with these lessons, which is he, he's now moving from a view of Israel and the veil they have over their hearts, and now he's looking at all humanity, really. He says in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, Therefore, since we have this ministry... Because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says, we're not giving in now. Me and Timothy and these other ministers of this new, better message, this new, better covenant, the message of Christ, 
we're not going to start giving in to the people who are, who are pressuring them. The people who are accusing them of, of, of veiling and corrupting the truth by not teaching the law of Moses or, or not teaching human philosophies and traditions. It says we're not going to lose heart. They had suffered all sorts of persecution and affliction from their opponents. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians a lot. Paul goes into that later in great detail. He says we're not going to give in. We're not going to cave into those pressures of the accusers. Instead, he says, we have determined, we're, we, are, we are committed to not changing the message of Christ. We are committed to not preaching anything else that's different. We don't want to tamper. He says, uh, instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message. In other words, we're not going to do what everyone else is doing with the gospel. People are taking the gospel and they're, they're trying to bring people in with deceitful teachings they're trying to warp it to trick people into following them. They're trying to tamper with God's word to make it more palatable to certain groups of people. It says they're, they're tampering with it, but Paul says we're not going to stoop to that. We're not going to stoop to deceitful practices, trying to deceive people into following what we're teaching. We're not going to practice you know, cunning trickery, and we're not going to tamper with God's word. And that's, that's another great verb he uses here. We're not adulterating. God's word. That means to, 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 to mix something so that it's no longer pure. It's no longer as strong as it used to be. Right? You, 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 you kind of dilute something when you're adulterated. You, you wash it down and it's not as powerful. And Paul says we're not doing that with the gospel. Because he knew what power it had to change lives. He says we're not going to change it now. Why would we change the message of Christ? It's what gives life. It's what has a permanent glory. It's the very message that takes veils off of hearts and helps people to clearly see the glory of God. Why would we ever dilute it with deceitful practices? Why would we start to bait people with things that, that don't matter? Why would we try to lure people in with, with you know, deceitful language and deceitful teachings? That's not going to help them. Paul says we're not doing that. We're committing ourselves, he says, instead uh, to, the, to the open statement of the truth. We want to be as clear as we possibly can in preaching the message of Christ because that is what has power. It's the Spirit of God working through that message that has power to bring light into darkened hearts. It didn't matter how false teachers were judging them or their message. So Paul made this complete effort to present the gospel unveiled I'm not, we're not mixing this up anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything to, to trick or deceive. I'm just going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says they're doing it so that, you know, if, even if there are those who could not see all the glories of the gospel of Jesus, they're, they're missing out on just how wonderful this message is. It wasn't because of the teacher, and it wasn't because of the message. It was because of the unbelief of the, he, of the hearer. He says, but if our gospel is veiled, in verse 3, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Well, let's just stop there before we even go on to the next verse. Who's, who are the ones perishing? That's those who have not believed in Christ. Those who don't have faith in the Lord, right? That is who is perishing. He says in verse 4, in their case, those who are not believing, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People were accusing Paul of, of 
teaching in a way that, that veiled the truth. You're not, you're not teaching it correctly, and you're saying and doing things that are, are, are messing with people, and it's, there's a veil between the truth and the, and the hearers. But Paul says, no, we're, we're committed to teaching and preaching the word of God, the, the, the gospel of Christ, clearly. If there is a veil, if there is something that's obstructing people from seeing how glorious this message is, it's their own disbelief and their worship of the God of this age. It's because instead of turning to the Lord, they're choosing instead to worship idols. They're turning to the God of this age, who I get, we can say is Satan, right? He's the one who has control in this age. But I like that Paul uses this terminology, the God of this age, because it, it puts it in even more terms of idolatry. They're, instead of submitting to the Lord at the teaching of the gospel of Christ, they are instead submitting to the God of this age. They're, they're putting their trust in worldly things. It, it's not God, it's not Christ who they're trusting in, it is the God of this age. And so he says in their case, just like we've seen in the Psalms, just like we saw in Israel, just like we saw in Romans, as people turn to the God of this age and they worship him, what does he do? He blinds their hearts. Of course they're not going to be able to see how glorious this message is. They're not going to see all the glories of God. They won't even make the first step. They won't even believe in Christ. They won't accept the message. So their hearts are blinded. Their minds are blinded. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People who don't believe in the Lord, who won't, who won't respond to the message of Christ with faith, they're not being transformed from one glory to another. The veil's not being lifted over their hearts like it was for the Jews who turned to the Lord. Instead, they're, they're sitting in the darkness because they're worshiping idols. That's who they're devoted to. Verse 5. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. Let's say it's not... It's not because of us that there's a veil there. It's not because of our message that there's a veil there. It's because they won't receive Jesus, because that's who we're preaching. We're not preaching to people about how good Paul is, about how good Timothy is. When we preach to people today, we're not telling them about how good North Bryant is, the people here, how righteous we are. We're preaching to them about the glories of Christ. We're preaching who he is. And people who reject that message are rejecting him says that's who we're preaching we're not proclaiming ourselves but jesus christ is lord and we're also proclaiming ourselves as your slaves we are serving you people like the corinthians he says we're serving you because of jesus he was having to all over this letter he was having to defend himself to them saying we're we're trying to serve you don't don't reject us because of what other people are saying we're trying to help you for in verse six and i this is just an incredible verse to me for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now it's Paul saying, there are those who, there's still that veil there. They can't see the glories of this message because they, they refuse to believe in Jesus. But we, on the other hand... He says, he's like looking back on his own testimony, right? He's, he's essentially giving his own testimony and the testimony of those who have believed in Jesus Christ. He says, God, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts. We see all the brilliant splendor 
of, of the message of Jesus Christ. We see how glorious he is and how the glory of the law has faded. We see all the, the wonderful things about how God has brought us salvation. And it's because they had faith in Christ. And I love that he says this. He used a quote here, and your Bible might even have quotation marks there to, to help you out. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. And he's, he's paraphrasing, really, what God did at creation. God spoke light out of, out of nothing. God created light out of nothing. He just spoke it out of darkness. Where there was not light, God spoke light into that place. And now Paul is saying, when you trust in the Lord, when he trusted in the Lord, he experiences himself, God spoke light into his heart. A heart that had been darkened and had been totally fogged and hardened because of idol worship, because of worship of this world and not the, not the Lord, was given light. Light was spoken into that heart because of faith in Christ. When someone presents the message of the gospel and the hearer hears it and they believe that glorious message, God speaks light into that heart and helps them to see clearly, helps them to, to understand the glories of God, helps them to understand the truth that he has given us. Paul himself, we know, was persecutor. He at one time was, again, he calls himself the chiefest of sinners. He says, I'm, I'm a sinner. He looked back on his own life and he could think about how he had been blinded at one point. His own heart was blinded to the glories of Christ, the glories of, uh, of Jesus. He was even persecuting those who would follow Jesus. But when he was confronted with the message and he was convicted by the Spirit and he believed, now his heart is illuminated. Now, he's, now he has this light in him. God has... He has really made a new creation just as he created in the beginning and he spoke light out of darkness now he's done the same thing in paul's heart and he does the same thing in everyone's heart who believes in jesus how awesome is that i mean you think about how dark your heart is without christ and yet out of that christ can go light paul was blind but he knew now he saw and it was because of faith in jesus he was a new creation. The veil was removed. Paul could now gaze on God's glory in Christ and himself be changed into that image as he looked at it like a mirror. And I think that's what motivated Paul to faithfully share the gospel to unbelievers because he knew the light that could shine in their hearts. He knew the change that Jesus could bring in their own hearts if they would believe in him that that veil could be lifted, that they could start to really, they could actually walk in wisdom and walk in the light, the light that only Christ can give. Even the darkest of hearts, like Paul's, could be cleansed and made to reflect the glory of God. Guys, idolatry has blinded the hearts of this world, right? People don't perceive God's glory. As we've seen already, they, they make choices that just seem so ridiculous. How, how, how could someone ever think that doing such things are wrong, such shameful practices? How could they do them and not see that they're wrong? How could they not see how glorious God is? It's because they haven't repented and believed in the Son. They don't have that light in them. But when we preach the true gospel of Jesus to them, and His Spirit convicts them like only He can, 
they can repent and believe, and God will shine lights in their hearts. And if you're saved, you can look back on your own life and see how that was true. I can look back on my own life and think about before I was saved. I did not grasp the glories of God. Quite honestly, I did not care. When I look back on it, I really didn't care about God and who he was and how glorious he was and the word that he had given us. But when I heard the gospel preached, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart to show me that I was wrong, and I repented and I believed. And for me, it really was like that light was switched on of like, that's why we're singing at church. You know, that, that's why we're praising him. You know, that's why God is so glorious, why he has such splendor. You start to see those kinds of things as you look to Christ in faith. That's the message that we preach. And if you're a child of God, that's the confidence that you can have, just like Paul has. Again, with this lesson, I know we, we, haven't, uh, we didn't read the word idol or idolatry, but and, and this was one of the passages that I kind of you know, stumbled upon and was studying even after I had, I had written my thesis. And to me, it just goes so perfectly with what we've been reading about. Because it seems like there's, there's no hope when hearts are darkened by idolatry and they're so senseless like we read in the prophets. But God is powerful enough to bring light in hearts like that. Uh, he does that with people every day who repent and believe in Christ. Uh, this week, don't be intimidated by how darkened hearts are in this world. That you think that God can't bring change in the hearts of people. That you think that they could never grasp the light of Jesus. They could never really grasp how glorious God is. It just seems like they're so far from him. You know, someone like Paul can be changed to, to walk in the light and to have that light in his own heart. And there are people all around us who can do the same when we preach Jesus to them. But we need to be like Paul, right? And that we're not going to mix the message up. We're not going to try to bait people with deceptive practices. We're not going to try to dilute it and, and, and form the message of the gospel to be more palatable to people. We just need to share what God has told us. We just need to share the word clearly. Uh, and that's accompanied with the Spirit's conviction. That's what, man, that's what brings light in dark hearts. Uh, next week will be our last lesson in this study. Uh, and what we're going to do uh, is... As we've seen what idolatry has done and how God has, has, has solved that problem <laughs> through faith in Christ, we, we can be conformed to his image. We're going to see next week how um, maybe find some application for believers now. You know, as we're living in this world, you know, what does it look like to conform to Christ? Can we already be reflecting his glory and look forward to the day when we're, we totally reflect the glory of Christ? And we'll, we'll even talk a little bit about you know, what idolatry looks like today. Because chances are um, you're not as, as concerned about setting up a little golden person in your household and worshiping it. Um, but there are, there are idolatrous practices every day that we are confronted with. And idols every day that we're confronted with, um, we have the choice whether or not to, to bow to them or to God. Um, if you want to be reading, we'll, we'll be in Colossians um, for a bit of that. So. Let's have a word of prayer together before we are dismissed. Lord, I thank you for sending us a light. God, as we've studied your word together, we've, we've become even more aware of how sinful we are, Lord, and, and how lost we are without your grace. But Lord, I'm so thankful that even in our dark hearts, you can speak light. When we put our faith in Christ, Lord, we have that, that light in our hearts that helps us to see clearly. And Lord, I just pray that this week as we meet other people whose hearts 
are, are darkened by sin, people who are, who are acting foolishly because of their dark hearts. Lord, help us not to be intimidated by their state, Lord, but instead to bring the solution to them, Lord, to, uh, to preach your glory, to preach the message of Christ that they can trust in it and themselves uh, come to the light, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much for sending Christ to die for us and giving us hope in him. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.